Why, hello there. Welcome to Madams of Murder. The archive is open and your brain will be too. It's your host, Madam M. Let's get into the files. Welcome back to Madams of Murder. This is our third episode and I am so, so excited to talk about this case. I think this woman really makes every mother out there question their own sanity and it makes every person on the face of this earth wonder if you should take a test to be a parent. But before we get into that, I want to say that this deals with some very heavy topics. So if you or anyone you know are struggling with thoughts of suicide, please reach out to this helpline, 800-273. 8255. Again, if you or anyone you know are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to this Suicide Prevention Healthline. 800-273-8255. And with that, I present to you our case of Andrea Yates. Andrea Yates was born in Hassville, Texas, the youngest of five children of Judah Kohler, a German immigrant, and Andrew Kennedy, whose parents were Irish immigrants. She suffered from bulimia during her teenage years, and she also suffered from depression. At the age of 17, she spoke to a friend about wanting to commit suicide. She graduated from Milby High School in 1982. She was class valedictorian, captain of the swim team, and an officer in the National Honor Society. Yates completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston and graduated from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. From 1986 until 1994, she worked as a registered nurse and at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. In the summer of 1989, she met Russell Rusty Yates, an engineer who at the time was living in the Sunscape Apartments in Houston. They soon moved in together and they were married on April 17th of 1993. They announced that the happy couple would seek to have as many babies as nature allowed and bought a four-bedroom house in Friendswood, Texas. Their first child, Noah, was born in February of 1994, just before Rusty had accepted a small job offer in Florida. So they relocated to a small trailer in Seminola, and by the time they had their third child, Paul, they moved back to Houston and purchased a GMC motorhome. Following the birth of her fourth child, Luke, Yates instantly became depressed. On June 16, 1999, Rusty said he found her shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day, she attempted to commit suicide by overdosing on pills. She was admitted to the hospital and prescribed antidepressants. Soon after her release, she begged Rusty to let her die as she would hold a knife to her neck. Once again hospitalized, she was given a cocktail of medications, including Haldol, an antipsychotic drug. Her condition improved immediately. She was prescribed Haldol to continue taking after her release. After that, Rusty moved the family into a small house for the sake of Amanda's health. She appeared temporarily stabilized. In July of 1999, Yates suffered from a nervous breakdown, which culminated in two suicide attempts and two psychiatric hospitalizations that summer. She was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Yates' first psychiatrist, Dr. Eileen Starbranch, testified that she urged her and Rusty not to have any more children, as it would almost guarantee a psychotic depression. They conceived their fifth and final child approximately seven weeks after her discharge. She stopped taking Haldol in March 2000 and gave birth to her daughter, Mary, on November 30, 2000. She seemed to be coping well until their father passed away on March 12, 2001. Yates then stopped taking all of her medication, began mutilating herself, 
and she read the Bible religiously. She stopped feeding Mary. She became so incapacitated that she required immediate hospitalization. On April 1st of 2000, she underwent the care of Dr. Muhammad Saeed, who treated her and released her. On May 3rd of 2001, she degenerated back into what is known as a near-catatonic state and filled the bathtub up with water in the middle of the day. She would later confess to police that she had planned to drown her children that day, but had decided against doing it then. She was hospitalized the next day after a scheduled doctor visit. Her psychiatrist determined she was probably suicidal and had filled the bathtub to drown herself. And on that note, I'm going to insert a commercial break. You have however long this commercial is to get your mind right, get back into the mood, and when we come back, we'll start talking about the actual murder. Looking to reignite your love for oldies and find new music? Tune into Bad Mixtape from your high school girlfriend once a week for a new playlist and suggestions. Whether you're going through a breakup or in the best time of your life, I have a playlist for that. Join me every week for a new episode on Anchor or Spotify, and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BMFYHSGFPod for updates and more. Alrighty, welcome back. We had just learned about the background of Andrea Yates, and now we're going to hop right into the killings. At the time of the murders, the Yates family was living in the Houston suburb of Clear Lake City. She continued under Dr. Saeed's care until June 20th of 2001, when Rusty left for work, leaving her alone to watch the children against Dr. Saeed's instructions to supervise her around the clock. His mother, Dora Yates, had been scheduled by Rusty to arrive an hour later to take over for Andrea. In the space of that hour, Andrea drowned all five children. Andrea started with John, Paul, and Luke, and then laid them in her bed. She then drowned Mary, who was left floating in the bathtub. Noah came in and asked what was wrong with Mary. He then ran, but she caught him and drowned him. She left him floating in the tub and then laid Mary in John's arms in the bed. She then called the police repeatedly, saying she needed an officer, but would not say why. She then called Rusty and told him to come home right away. The Trial of Andrea Yates Yates confessed to drowning all of her children. Prior to her second trial, she told Dr. Michael Walner that she waited for Rusty to leave for work that morning before filling the bathtub because she knew he would have prevented her from harming them. After the murders, police found the family dog locked up. Rusty advised Wellner that it had normally been allowed to run free and was so when he had left the house that morning, leading the psychiatrist to allege that she locked it in a cage to prevent it from interfering with her killing of the children one by one. Rusty got a family friend, George Farman, to act as her attorney. Although the defense expert testimony agreed that Yates was psychotic, Texas law requires that in order to successfully assert the insanity defense, the defendant must prove that he or she could not discern right from wrong at the time of the crime. In March of 2002, a jury rejected the insanity defense and found her guilty. Although the prosecution had sought for the death penalty, the jury refused that option. The trial court sentenced her to life imprisonment in Texas Department of Criminal Justice with eligibility for parole in 40 years. On January 6th of 2005, a Texas Court of Appeals reversed the convictions because California psychiatrist and prosecution witness Dr. Park Dietz admitted he had given materially false testimony during the trial. 
In this testimony, Dietz stated that shortly before the murders, an episode of Law and Order had aired featuring a woman who drowned her children and was acquitted by murder by reason of insanity. Author and later Yale University lecturer Susan O'Malley was covering the trial for the Mag- Oprah Magazine, The New York Times, and NBC News. She had previously been a writer for Law & Order and immediately reported that no such episode existed. Two years later, in 2004, Law & Order Criminal Intent did air the episode Magnificent, based on a part of Yale's case. The appellate court held unanimously that the jury might have been influenced by Date's false testimony and therefore a new trial would be necessary. On January 9th of 2006, Yates yet again entered pleas of not guilty by reason of insanity. On February 1st of 2006, she was granted release on bail on one condition that she admitted to a mental health treatment facility. On July of 2006, after three days of deliberation, Yates was found not guilty by reason of insanity as defined by the state of Texas. She was therefore committed to the Texas North State Hospital Vernon campus. In January of 2007, she was removed to the Colonel State Hospital, a low security mental health facility in Nerville, Texas. Although psychiatrists for both Texas states, prosecutors, and her defense lawyers agreed that she was severely mentally ill with one of the psychotic diseases at the time she killed her children, the state of Texas asserted that she was, by legal definition, aware enough to judge her actions as right or wrong, despite her mental defect. The prosecution further implied spousal revenge as a motive for the killings, despite the conclusion of defense experts that there was no evidence to support such a motive. Although the original jury believed she was legally aware of her actions, they disagreed that her motive was espousal revenge. Now, before we get into the topic of her husband, I'm going to enter another commercial break. Again, reset yourself, calm down, get ready to listen to some more graphic content. Greetings, multicellular organisms. The world of academia can seem like a serious place. But in my podcast, Unsearch, I bring some humor into the equation, exploring hilariously weird scientific research, answering the important questions that we've all been wondering, like, can pizza prevent cancer? So if you like weird research and nerdy science puns, visit anchor.fm slash unsearchpod to listen to Unsearch. Why, hello there. Welcome back. You just heard about what happened in the trial. We're going to continue that, but we're now moving on to Rusty Yates. According to the trial testimony in 2006, Dr. Saeed advised Rusty, a former NASA engineer, not to leave Yates unattended. However, he began leaving her alone with the children in the weeks leading up to the drownings for short periods of time, apparently to improve her independence. He had announced at a family gathering the weekend before the drownings that he had decided to leave her home alone for an hour each morning and evening so that she would not become totally dependent on him and his mother for maternal responsibilities. Yates's brother, Brian Kennedy, told Larry King on a broadcast of CNN's Larry King Live that Rusty expressed to him in 2001 while transporting her to the Duovrex treatment facility that all depressed people needed was a quote-unquote swift kick in the pants to get them motivated. Her mother, Judah Kennedy, expressed shock when she heard of Rusty's plans while at the gathering with them, saying Yates wasn't stable enough to care for her own children. She noted that Yates demonstrated she wasn't in her right mind, and when she nearly choked Mary by trying to give her solid food. According to authors Susie Spencer and Suzanne O'Malley, who investigated her story in great detail, it was during a phone call Dr. Saeed made to Rusty during the breaking news of the killings that Saeed first learned that she was not being fully supervised. Yates' first psychiatrist, Dr. Eileen Starbranch, says she was shocked 
to disbelief when during an office visit with the couple, they expressed a desire to discontinue her medications so she could become pregnant again. She warned and consoled them against having more children and noted that in medical records two days later, quote unquote, apparently patient and husband plan to have as many babies as nature will allow. This will surely guarantee future psychotic episodes. Nevertheless, Yates become pregnant with her fifth child, Mary, only seven weeks after being discharged from Dr. Stowbranch's care on January 12th of 2000. Rusty stated to the media he was never told by psychiatrists that his wife was psychotic, nor that she could harm the children, and that he knew otherwise. He would never have let her alone with the children. Rusty says, if I had known she was psychotic, we'd never have even considered having more kids. He told Dallas Observer. However, Andrea released to her person psychiatrist, Dr. Melissa Ferguson, that prior to her last child, she had told Rusty that she did not want to have sex because Dr. Starbranch had said that she might hurt her children. Rusty, she said, simply asserted his corrective religious beliefs, complimented her as a good mother, and persuaded her that she could handle more children. O'Malley highlighted Rusty's continuing sense of unreality regarding having more children. During the trial, he successfully maintained the position that Yates would be found innocent. He had fantasies of having more children with her after she was successfully treated in mental health facility and released on the proper medication. He worked his way through various fixes for their damaged lives, such as a surrogate, motherhood, and adoption, horrifying her family, attorneys, and Houston psychiatrists before giving in to the reality. The medical community was livid. Rusty contended that as a psychiatrist, Dr. Saeed was responsible for recognizing and properly treating Yates's psychosis, not a medically untrained person like himself. Yates claimed that despite his urging to check her medical records for prior treatment, Dr. Saeed had refused to continue her regimen of the antipsychotic Halidol, that treatment that had worked for her during her first breakdown in 1999. The real question to me is, how could she have been so ill and all the medical community not diagnose her, not treat her, and obviously not protect her from her family? Rusty testified that he never knew that she had visions and voices. He said he never knew she had considered killing the children. Neither did Dr. Saeed, even though the delusions could have been found in medical records from 1999. He reluctantly prescribed Haldol the same drug that worked in a drug cocktail for her in 1999. But after a few weeks, he took her off the drug, citing his concerns about the side effects, though her condition seemed to be worsening two days before the drownings when Rusty drove her to see Dr. Saeed. He testified the doctor refused to give Haldol longer or return her to the hospital. He added that his wife was too sick to be discharged from her last day in the hospital in May 2001. He said he had noticed the staff lower their heads as if in shame and embarrassment, turning away without saying a word. The hospital had no other choice due to the 10-day psychiatric hospitalization insurance constraints of their provider, Blue Cross Blue Shield, subcontracted by Milligan Health Services. Antidepressants and homicidal ideations are popular in people like this. Rusty and his relatives claimed a combination of antidepressants improperly prescribed by Dr. Saeed in the days before the tragedy were responsible for Yates' violent psychotic behavior. Quote unquote, Andrea was on 450 milligrams of Exifor, among other medications, and was, in his opinion, severely over medicated. The psychiatrist said he would reduce the ex exaform from 450 milligrams to 300 milligrams. Rusty protested and quoted his own extensive research on the antidepressant. He said 
that he read an article saying it should be reduced by more than 75% milligrams every three to four days, not 150 milligrams in one day. According to Dr. Molaria Dolan, Executive Director of the Medical Accountability Network, homicidal ideation was added to the warning label of the antidepressant drug Exexafor as a rare adverse event in 2005. Yates, she said, had been taking 450 milligrams, twice the recommended maximum dose, for a month before killing her children. Dolan reviewed her medical record at the request of Rusty. Quote, unquote, Rates had been prescribed Exexafor in varying doses since shortly after her first suicide attempt in 1999, said Dolan, who reviewed her medical records after her first trial at the request of Rusty a month before the murders. Her daily dose had been increased to 450 milligrams, twice the recommended maximum dose, Dolan said. Dr. Lucy Purer, an expert witness hired by Yates' defense team, countered their continuation regarding the administration of her antidepressants, saying that the doses prescribed by Dr. Saeed are not uncommon in practice and had nothing to do at all with her re-emergent psychosis. She suggested, rather, that the psychosis returned as a result of the Haldol having discontinued by her doctor two weeks earlier. The oral form of Hapidoral, or Haldol, takes four to six days after discontinuation to reach a terminal plasma level of under 1.5% a medical standard for quote-unquote complete elimination of the drug from the body. There were also some religious influences in this case. Media outlets alleged that Michael Lewarowinski, an interrant preacher whom Rusty had met while attending Auburn University, bears some responsibility for the deaths due to his fire and brimstone message. And certain teachings, which were found in his new letter titled The Perfilious Times, which had the Yates had received it on occasion and which was entered into evidence at the trial. In the aftermath of her 2006 retrial, which resulted in an insanity verdict, television journalist Chris Kumono reported on ABC Primetime that Andrea Yates's delusions were fueled by the extreme religious beliefs of a bizarre, inherent, incoherent street preacher named Michael Warwinski. Both Rusty Yates and Michael Warwinski have rejected these accusations. Rusty said that the family's relationship with the Warrenskiskis was not that close, and Warrenski did not cause her delusions. Warrenski maintained that his correspondence with them was intended to help them strengthen their marriage and find love that he says he only found through Jesus. Both men agreed that the alleged connection between his message and her mental state was, quote-unquote, nothing more than media-created fiction. While in prison, Yates stated that she had considered killing the children for two years, adding that they thought she was not a good mother and claiming that her sons were developing improperly. She told her jail psychiatrist, quote unquote, It was the seventh deadly sin. My children weren't righteous. They stumbled because I was evil. The way I was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. In August of 2004, Rusty filed for divorce, stating that he and Yates had not lived together as a married couple since the day of the murders. The divorce was granted on March 17, 2005, after which Rusty began dating his second wife, Laura Allenlord. They married on March 25, 2006, and had one son. She then filed for divorce in 2015. Now is the part of the podcast where I insert my own commentary, and I simply just want to say again before I get too deep into this podcast that if you are feeling suicidal, please, please reach out 
to the number that I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. If you know anyone who is dealing with an eating disorder or any sort of mental illness, please, please give them that number so they can also reach out and maybe report them to a trusted adult so that they can get the help that they desperately need. I also would like to say that I genuinely do believe there was something wrong with Andrea Yates. She was already diagnosed with depression at 17, and she had already attempted to kill herself multiple times throughout her life. I don't understand why her son would have just, you know, been the trigger to be like, oh, you know what, I'm fine. You know, my brain's totally okay. Everything's fine. But there's no way that anything would have been okay. She was struggling, and no one saw that. They just let her go down and down and down this rabbit hole of damnation and falling into a religious cult um and it was toxic she lived in a toxic and borderline religiously abusive household for a long time i don't understand how anyone in their right mind would let somebody who is clearly not well go through the process of life as a normal person andrea yates most definitely killed her children. I understand that she was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and I understand that. But I do think that her husband, Rusty, should have been tried for neglect because she was supposed to be left in his care and he didn't care for her. He just let her go. So please, please, again, before I end this podcast, give that number that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast to somebody if they genuinely need it. It could save somebody's life, I promise you. All right, that's all we have time for today. Sleep tight and remember, don't let the bed bugs bite. (laughs) 